It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show, Terrell Calder. And she is here to talk about a new stop-motion animation short film that she just had premiered at <laughs> TIFF. And it is entitled Beneath the Hidden Island of ethics. And so it is a pleasure to have uh, Terrell here to talk about it and uh, say congratulations uh, to have her world premiere at TIFF. Welcome to the show, Terrell. It's my pleasure and thank you. It's very exciting. Yeah. Well, speaking of very exciting, uh, you just came off of uh, your world premiere at TIFF. How did it go? It, you know, it, it was, it's my first time being in an audience or even on mm. a stage two years so mm. there's some kind of magic mm. happening it was quite a haul i think the screening of all the shorts in our program was about three hours long wow. um amazing work amazing people and i th- i think that especially when you get on the festival circuit and film after film mm. I, I think you know this time everyone was really appreciative of being there and really getting real-time reactions from the crowd like how they're you know, taking in the film. Mm. And I, I was uh, very nervous, but I did hear some applause for mine. I really, <laughs> really appreciated it. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking to the nerves and things that get to people uh, as they're there. And, and it is nice that some of these things were reopened for TIFF. I know I heard a lot of talk around, you know, last year, of course, everything was virtual and, and shut down. And, and so some of the things opened up again this year. And you just mentioned the film circuit as well. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Because your film, uh, for those people that, that missed it at TIFF, it's going to go on to a number of other things. You're, you're going to be at the Vancouver International Film Festival. You're in the Ottawa International Film Festival, Imaginative uh, Film Festival, which is coming up. So there's, there's some other opportunities for people to, uh, to catch your film. No, it's very exciting. Um, I, I love it. I, I think the rest of the festivals are, as we know, online, mm. as far as we know, online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we'll see what happens as things slowly open up and then quickly they'll say, grab your bag, come. <laughs> <laughs> it's changed now. You yeah. can come and, and hang out with actual real people. So yeah. we'll, oh. we'll see. Yeah, isn't it? It is crazy, isn't it? Because one moment uh, things open up, then they close down. It, it really leaves us in this very precarious sort of a situation. But hey, we're in unprecedented territory as far as uh, COVID-19 and, and all these variants that keep popping up and things. So we're trying to keep ourselves safe as well as everyone else, right? Absolutely. It's, it's, I mean, that's the most important thing. It, it's selfish as a director because you do want to get the audience's yeah. reactions, engage in dialogue, you know, I, but I mean, I, I didn't want to sit on the film any longer. I mm. really want it out there. Um, you know, in the end, it's, it's, it's an experience you have with the film and not the filmmaker. So mm. I'm happy that it's now in the world. So, yeah. Uh, I, I like what you just said about that as well. Uh, and we'll, I, I want to come back to that in a minute. Just to reintroduce the film it's beneath the hidden island of ethics it's a stop motion animation film that you created and uh, as i said off the top beneath is a animation of <laughs> thank you which is island in the in the language and so what you were just saying about putting it out in the world well, I, my background is in visual art mm. and it really, uh, the experience with film, 100%. Like, I love that all of my films have a life of their own. Mm. They teach me things. They mm. make friends that come <laughs> back to me. Some people 
uh, treat my films like they're uh, like I didn't make them, like mm. they're their own entity, and wow. they explain them to me. So it's it's actually quite fascinating. It's really really a child. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Manith, of course, features uh, a child. Uh, the The main character is, is Baby Girl. Uh, tell me more about how this came about. I was really interested in creating a film about ethics mm-hmm. uh, and I knew that was loaded and I also am not a professor or I didn't study ethics in school. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, a POV from a child uh, because mm. she can take these things on. I think with a, with an innocence where there's um, some forgiveness for her misinterpretation because, you know, childhood is a lot about interpreting mm. um contradictory things and try to make sense of them so it was really important for me to have a vessel and she's a vessel that you're i I hope (laughs) that 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 you're empathetic towards and want to engage with her on this journey Mm. Uh, i think you 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 do a very good job of that and i want to also let people know that uh, not, not only are you the creator of this you you narrate it you also are the the animator um and uh you do an number of other things with the film as well (laughs) (laughs) yes my background is in art so i never really learned how to delegate Mm. (laughs) and i really um i I mean i I love sharing the films but my real passion is learning and i do compositing i sculpt Mm. the dolls i make the sets and and I, i have to tell you i love I've had over the years people um, wanting to come on board to to help me augment things. I have a really hard time giving that away. Mm. You know, I, I enjoy the process so much, mm. all of the seasons of it. Mm. And and my hope is that uh, as an artist, all of those things intact is making some kind of weird new hybrid. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. That's my hope. <laughs> you, know, you know, you mentioned earlier about how once these are out in the world, that they really do become their own entity and, and uh, have a life of their own, that sometimes they bring back and, and make friends. I thought that was a really interesting line. Um, but what it made me think about was Baby Girl. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is the actual uh, character that you created for this film. And where will how will baby girl be treated by you the the actual little character that you created not the not in the film but the actual little character that you created what do you what do you have in mind for baby girl uh you mean physically yeah. or yeah <laughs> I don't, I, I'm dreadful. I'm a, a dreadful artist because I make things. I'm so passionate about them. And then I tend to just, you know, as long if someone could take it out of my hands after I'm done, because I'm always on to the next thing. Mm. I don't really sit and revel in what I've okay. created. Yep. Uh, and I'm always excited about the next project. And sure. I, I'm working on an, another project with Alanisa Bomsman. So I'm all obsessed about that. And yeah. it becomes my my new passion. The doll itself, I think, is going, we're in talks right now for it to go to the, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this yet. Okay. It they might don't. go to a gallery. Okay. <laughs> I'll just say that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask how long it took for you to put this together? Uh, I think I met my producer, Yelena Poplovic, uh, at the Berlin Festival in 2016. Mm. And, and then we uh, kind of got to talk. So it was sort of a slow start. But the overall production took about three years. Mm. So the bulk of the animation happened during lockdown. Mm. Oh, yeah. Now, you're doing stop-motion animation, and I have never done that, but I hear it is extremely (laughs) labor-intensive. Yes. You you always know that 
the person is uh, <laughs> is crazy um, <laughs> immediately. Uh, no, no, I, I, I mean, I don't think I could have done it when I was younger. To tell you the truth, I was a performance artist. It had to be really immediate. Right. And there's something really amazing melting into to uh, this timeless. You know, like it's kind of like you slow down time mm. and and try to get a performance intact, yeah. which yeah. could take about ten hours. Sure. So, I mean, ultimately animators are the actors yep. uh you know cinematographers uh we stage it you know the art of movement there's a lot that go i mean sure i basically walk sideways for two years while i'm trying to think about uh how, how to constantly inject a performance in, into into the movement right it's it's a lot of work and and i collect which my pr- producer i've actually never worked with the nfb before this is the first time i've worked oh, yeah. with them wow. and i've created about 10 films so i i really don't know a lot of other animators and it's kind of refreshing to know that i collect 20 seconds a day and that's actually not bad mm. <laughs> for an animator mm. <laughs> That's great to hear. I really found that comment you just made about walking sideways interesting. Um, <laughs> but but the other thing is, I'm wondering what you have learned from not only this project, but from other projects that you have done with stop motion animation and, and the movement and the human body or human expression through what you've done. It's amazing. The art of movement. I, I teach uh, in community a lot of youth because I, I actually had a lot of shame about my first film because I didn't know how to animate, but mm. uh, I was going to make an animated film and I thought, oh, this is terrible. But, you know, from point A to point B, as long as you kind of define your reality of movement, it, it can work. You know, you don't have to be an amazing animator from the start to mm. start animating. Mm. Um, but over the last few years, especially, you know, learning from other people in the last few years that, you know, there's only so much you can do on your own and I am self-taught, but learning the, the, the art of movement, uh, is so intricate contrapposto where the weight is when you stand on one foot, what the spine does, mm. the tra- you know, the transfer of the emotion. Um, you know, I've had some guidance, especially how to get, how to make it a bit more, um, believable mm-hmm. i suppose mm-hmm. i don't use any some animators will use a, a reference guide or rotoscoping mm-hmm. um and i yep. don't because i i like kind of the poetry of movement to see what's going to evolve i don't want to be stuck mm-hmm. to an actor's performance mm-hmm. um yeah i, I learn. i mean if you want to be an animator, you're in it to learn. And I'm always learning something brand new and I'm excited and I never want to make the same film twice. You know, I want mm. to be challenged. Yeah. And, and this film, uh, I, I, it taught me so much. It taught me so much. It's a, it's a, it's a film I made out of love and, and not just like a lot of artists. So you have to be dark and in despair. This film was made out of love, mm. even though it's such an amazingly dark journey. Um, it, it was a joy to create. Well, the journey, uh, you know, that you're, you, you of course, refer to in the film and that we are taken on, it, it, it does take on some very big topics and it yeah. also b- takes us into a very intimate personal relationship with baby girl. You know, it's very much almost uh, at some points you feel like it's the uh, good devil, bad devil on the shoulders kind of thing, you know, um, because of the way you, you have, have uh, set this up and the things that, that are being uh, um, 
brought towards her. But I, I really liked uh, for people that that you know are going to see this, and I recommend everybody does. Uh, it's about twenty minutes long, correct? Uh, just about yes. Yeah. That's right. So um, the the overall kind of things that you get to see through the through the film, uh, you get to see the contrast between the seven deadly sins, and you you uh, bring that through in terms of both English and the language because uh, of how you bring that that out, and uh, and it's really interesting to see throughout this whole thing it's just a wonderful little little process that we, we get to see and yes it is dark but it's done be, because we see this through baby girl's eyes and we we get to see her uh go through this and um and, and she's and it, very brave <laughs> yeah yeah she really is and and it's really wonderful to hear her say the words you know without giving too much of a spoiler alert you know this is not my fault um you know and it's so wonderful to hear that as as she uh comes to that realization later on through the story. Yes. Yep. I want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And my guest here on the show is Terrell Calder, and she is the animator behind the film Beneath the Hidden Islands uh, of Ethics. And uh, it is uh, just had its world premiere at TIFF. It's going to be going on to several other film festivals, including the Ottawa International Animated Film Festival. That's from September 22nd to October the 3rd. The Vancouver International Film Festival, and they're in their 40th uh, f- festival this year. That's from October 1st to the 11th, and then you can catch it at Imaginative, and that runs from October 19th to the 24th. So it's a pleasure to have Terrell here talking about Beneath the Hidden Island of Ethics, this animated film. So tell me more about the idea that... Um, uh, of the the sins, the seven deadly sins, and going back and forth, and 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 pulling on the language, and 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 because really they are counterpoints of each other, and you're you're getting thrown one of the seven deadly sins, but then you're thrown the opposite of that, and 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 that's what we're really seeing a lot of is those opposites, and trying to understand those opposites and how they work within us all, not only for baby doll, but through for all of us, and and how the things that that we get uh, thrown at our uh, in our own lives, uh, and how we interpret them, and how how we we are going to look at these things because to some degree it is our choices that we have to make. Yeah, the the impetus for making this film uh, it was that uh, I wanted to talk about. Um, Colonial systems, which is a very dry subject to take on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's especially now, uh, there's been a lot of push for equity in those systems. Mm. And I think a lot of people don't understand what it takes to fit into those systems mm. or what that voice in our head is telling mm. us, mm. you know? And, and so, I was really obsessed with the idea of augmented reality oh, yeah. and there will be a version of this film uh, that will go to gallery after, um, after the release. Uh, well, once it does its, its uh, tour of the single channel film. Mm. And I wanted the viewer to have uh, kind of a look into a voice that you don't know, because there's often a misinterpretation um, that I've experienced is that, oh, you don't know better. And if only you could, mm. you know, then you'll fit into this system. And mm. it's like, well, I, I do know, 
differently. Like I was trying to not necessarily set up a dichotomy between those two systems. Mm. I was really trying to introduce another one. Mm. You know, uh, it it wasn't necessarily because there's lots of indigenous peoples that are Christian uh, and have different faiths. Sure. It's, it's the idea that, you know, there are other ways of being a good person. Um, You know, something in my culture is that you don't make, um, eye contact for too long because it's rude and and it's the opposite way in other systems right so there's it's a cultural practice it's ethics it's it's so much more than that and and instead of always giving people the tools how to incorporate that into the systems i wanted to give give them a sense of what it feels like Mm. those contradictions as you navigate the world Right. It's like, you have to do it this way. And then it's like, but I know that I should do it this way. I mean, something that I often get is that, you know, that they, people tend to think that my humility is because I'm not uh, proud of who I am uh, and what I do. But my humility is I understand everyone's humanity. And this is just where I put my effort. Mm. And this is what I create. I don't think I'm any more special than anybody else. But it doesn't mean that I'm weak or small. You know, so, so there's always these, so so make a film that takes on all of these issues. Um, it was hard. <laughs> it was very difficult. So I thought I would follow the syllabus of using the seven deadly sins and the seven sacred teachings and, and kind of almost have Jesus and Nokomis as her, as her parents. Mm. And that they both really want the best for her, mm-hmm. um, but they have different ways about it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting, because we don't get that sense, as you say, um, from either of them about uh, being, you know, hit over the head with "you have to do it this way" kind of thing. It, it's they they both present um, their their sides and what they want to teach and and bring to their to baby doll's life. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, interesting. Um, being that baby doll, of course, is a, is a, a child and and a young person themselves, the timing of this, of course, is is very interesting. Uh, of course, because of, of the recent findings of the unmarked graves across Canada in at several former residential school sites. Yes, I was thinking about that this morning, uh, as it pertains to this film. There, this film gives a lot of room for people to bring issues to it mm-hmm. because it deals with ethics yep. and the idea of what it means to be a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, my fear is that I'm trying to talk about changing colonial systems. Right. And, and, and in my gut, I was like, how do I express why this film isn't about that? Mm. Because it wasn't about changing residential school systems because that was genocide. Right. That wasn't us trying to fit into a broken system. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so I, I'm, but within that, I think that there's a lot of healing, um, what people bring to it. It's always amazed, amazing to me, especially people who are Christian, uh, really feel uh, passionate about how it, it, it's uh, talking about Christianity uh, in a negative way. It's what people bring to the, the film. Mm-hmm. I find the most fascinating because then it, they'll say, this is a film about, you know, blank. And I would never deny anyone that experience. Mm-hmm. I, I find it really interesting. And because it's so broad, I'm happy people can find themselves into it. So if somebody finds healing in it, I love that, you know? Mm-hmm. I guess it also depends on, like you said, it's not only what a person brings to it, but how 
uh, open-minded the person is around what they are seeing. Right? Yeah. If they if they bring a, nev- a negative interpretation to the idea that oh, uh, Christianity has had such a negative impact on uh, the indigenous culture, as we know through the residential school system, then mm. there may be that automatic negative. Um, it's true. You know, that, that yeah. uh, and I've argued with people about that. It's really funny because Jesus is the only one that really takes care of like baby girl. He washes her, he talks mm. to her, he scolds her, mm. but, but, but he comes out of a place of love. Like mm. he really does. And I, and I was very careful to, to create it that way. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Now the other thing, you know, about yourself, because we haven't mentioned this and I, and I've, kind of sort of done this deliberately your own background is is metis you were born in fort francis ontario and i didn't introduce you as a metis artist i'm wondering how you like to be introduced yourself do you like to be because you know there's always even that is is sometimes uh some people want to be known as the artist who happens to be metis or first nation or whatever it is and you know some people don't really mind being introduced as you know the indigenous or you know a person first and and then the artist kind of thing or the person no i'm 100 percent proud to be indigenous mm-hmm. you know it's part of my experience it's it's why i'm compelled to tell the stories that i tell i'm part of an amazing community trying to make change with these stories i am tarot calder metis from the fort <laughs> that's how i grew up mm-hmm. and uh no, I, I honor that. Right. Now, you mentioned, I'm not sure how much you can share about this, but you mentioned uh, going on to your next project, which uh, happens to be with uh, Alanis Obanswin. And I'm just wondering, if is there is anything you can share around that at all? I can. I'm actually working on two projects with her. Um, one is, uh, it's with the Glenn Gould Foundation. She's this year's laureate, and mm. she's going to be honored on October 4th. Mm-hmm. Because of COVID, they're doing things a little bit differently, and I've commissioned to create a digital mapping um, light and sound projection show. So the film I'm just wrapping up right now during TIFF, so it means I'm so busy, <laughs> is, going to, uh, is going to premiere on October 4th. And it'll be projected onto the exterior of the old section of the ROM in Toronto. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, I, I remember being in uh, Quebec City for their 400th anniversary. Mm. <laughs> and the, I don't know if you were there or if you saw her, but that was an amazing uh, show that they had right across the entire sort of uh, waterfront, I guess, of all the buildings with uh, with uh, illuminations and film and, and, and pictures and, and all kinds of things with sound that reverberated throughout the whole city, uh, downtown uh, city area. It was quite something to see. It's, it's amazing. I did see a show in Ottawa, but I don't remember who did it or why it was there. I was passing and I, this is fascinating. This is amazing. <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of it and learning new things again and learning new things. Right. And that's you say that's going to be October 4th. That's right. And that's going to be on the old uh, ROM. That's right. Cool. And uh, and so that's obviously going to be for the public to come down and watch. Do we know what time? I don't know off the top of my head, but I know it has to happen when it's dark. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so we'll keep an eye on how soon the sun is dropping. <laughs> they have a lot of publicity out. I'm oh, sure I'm you. sure they do. And yeah. I'm sure we'll hear about it in that regard. Um, and how long of a piece might that be? 
it's going to be 10 minutes long but, yes. and it'll be presented on a loop uh, sorry be pre- presented uh, on a loop so oh, it'll yes. be looped so oh, yeah nice. so if you miss it the first time yep. <laughs> there'll be another time that's great it sounds very exciting and it you know i think it's really wonderful to see the use of of uh building faces uh for these kinds of projections and things there there really are naturally wonderful um, um walls that we can utilize aren't they Absolutely. It, it makes the city come to life. It's yeah, it crazy. Does. Well, that's wonderful. So that's one of the projects. Uh, did you mention the other one? I, I, I best not. Okay. <laughs> we'll have to keep us in suspense about that one. But congratulations on that. That's great. A couple of projects Thanks. with Elanice and, and uh, she and herself uh, being, uh, being recognized uh, for all the wonderful, wonderful uh, and thought-provoking and, and uh, work that she has done over the years to bring uh, subjects of major concern uh, around First Nation issues uh, to life and, and uh, be recognized for that. She's done such an amazing job yeah she, you know she's our matriarch she's she's an extraordinary human being that i have had the pleasure to get to know and work with mm-hmm. and yeah i mean just be inspired by i'm yeah we're grateful that there's an alan isobamso in the world aren't we <laughs> that that is for sure. Um, now, just before we finish up, I want to mention again that uh, Maneath, the Hidden Island of Ethics, is going to be shown at three other film festivals, although it just finished at TIFF for its world premiere. It's going to be going on to the Ottawa International Film Festival. That is from September 22nd to October the 3rd. Vancouver International Film Festival, celebrating their 40th, 40th fi- uh, festival, and that is from October 1st to the 11th. And then imagine native and that is from october 19th to the 24th now um Zeril, you were mentioning that you believe all of these remaining film festivals are uh, going to be virtual so online but uh, that could change and you may find yourself uh, getting on a plane or a train or something and and going out to these festivals um but if they are of course online and virtual there'll still be i'm sure some internet interaction you may have some uh, some post show uh quest q and a or things like that every it's it's fascinating how every festival has their own way to the response to covid and Mm -hmm. how to do things online so i think at ottawa there will be a live q a um i've pre-recorded one for imaginative and we're pre-recording one for uh vancouver Mm -hmm. uh this week so So I'm not, I, I, I just, if they want me there, I just come. So I, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, it's real, it's been really fascinating speaking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show, but also uh, for this wonderful uh, little film that uh, stop motion animation that you put together entitled Beneath the Hidden Island of Ethics, which just had its premiere, world premiere at uh, TIFF. And of course, Beneath is island in the Anishabemowin language and, um, and, and wish you all the best of this with uh, its future uh, showings at, in Ottawa, Vancouver, and at Imaginative, and all the work that you're going to be doing uh, coming up with uh, Alanise and uh, your, your future endeavors. And I certainly hope we can have you back on the show at another time. Thank you so much, David. It's been my absolute pleasure. All right. Well, you take care and all Thank the best. You. All right. And that is the voice of Tyrell Calder. She is a Métis artist that utilizes darkly beautiful stop-motion animation to lay bare baby girls' inner turmoil with unflinching honesty in her new film, Beneath the Hidden Island of Ethics. That is this portion of the show. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more right after this. 
Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show two guests that are here to talk about an article they co-authored in The Conversation. It is entitled, Why Have Canada and Australia Taken Such a Different Approach to China? So joining me are Margaret McCoy-Johnson. She's a senior fellow graduate in the School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa. Also joining us is John Garrick. He is a university fellow in law at the Charles Darwin University, and he is joining us from Down Under in Australia. So it's a real pleasure to have both Margaret and John with us, uh, and we were so happy to be able to find a time that we could get together and uh, do this together But because of, of where John is and the time differences that we're dealing with. I'm going to give you a little bit more information on both Margaret and John. Uh, Margaret, she's also a senior fellow in the Institute of Science, Society, and Policy at the University of Ottawa, where she is lecturing and writing on China's innovation policies since 2013, and for seven years she was a a senior fellow at the China Institute at the University of Alberta, where she has published research on China's innovation system and Canada-China S&T relations. John, who was previously in private legal practice with a major Sydney law firm specializing in commercial law, Chinese commercial law, reform, and international comparative law. John has worked extensively in both legal practice and academia in Hong Kong, in the Middle East, North America, and Australia. And John has also written and co-edited a wide range of scholarly publications. So it's a pleasure to have both Margaret and John with us. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us. So the article that we are talking about, as I mentioned, uh, once again, we have uh, why has Canada and Australia taken such a different approach to China? Of course, you know, as I was reading the article over uh, I remember some of the interactions, of course, that have happened within Canada. Uh, of course, Huawei, one of those big things that uh, loomed large for Canada uh, over the last, uh, geez, what, more than a year, a couple of years? I'm not even sure how long that... Uh, yeah, more than three. Is it really? You see, mm-hmm. COVID... I don't know about you guys. It's really messed up my timeline. Uh, really, it's just... You're joining an illustrious club on that one. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Wow, it's been more than three years. And of course, just recently, there came to uh, a somewhat of a close, at least uh, for uh, Ming Wanzhou, who was allowed to leave finally and return to China. Um, so uh, that part of it has been solved. But as your article points out, there are so many things that... Uh, that the relationship that we see, I guess, um, uh, you know, through how China has dealt with that situation and other situations. Yes. So you're talking about the canola and we made accusations that there were bugs, um, that it wasn't refined at enough uh, uh, level. Um, And we've heard these things before when they want to raise false barriers to imports Mm. from another country in retaliation for, um, something completely different. Right. And uh, before we get into more of the details on this, uh, John, you have an extensive background in, in, in the practice and also uh, uh, in being in these parts of the country. Um, yes. I'm, I'm just wondering what your sense is of how you think China might be viewing, obviously from your the article that you guys uh, co-authored, Canada sees itself as sort of a middle power. China doesn't see us that way, nor for Australia in, in that matter. What do you think the overall approach that China 
is is looking at us as? Well, at the moment, it's a, an intimidatory uh, mm. uh, way of proceeding. Uh, the um, the the wolf warrior approach to di- to diplomacy, for example, is now uh, a ritualised affair, so that uh, any uh, any attempt to uh, soften perceptions that uh, that that Australia or, or indeed Canada might be taking steps that uh, that China finds offensive is is really met with really strident uh, responses, and uh, it makes uh, having dialogue uh, where you can resolve these things in, in a, a more traditional manner uh, very difficult uh, and in fact they're setting the term in relation to diplomatic approaches uh, uh, and um, I, I think that um, China quite frankly sees both Australia and uh, Canada as both and, and this is mentioned in our article mm. both soft targets yeah uh, and also essential targets, uh, essential in the sense that both are, are key allies of the United States. Uh, United States is a is a is a, a, a competitor a competitor at the um, at the great power level, and uh, and where countries like Australia or or, or Canada can be wedged. Uh, away from the United States, then uh, China's really prepared to play that card. Um, soft target in the sense that the sorts of responses that China expects they'll they'll get in return from Australia and Canada is is um, that that it won't threaten uh, China in any way. So um, you know the the challenge in writing our article was to think of, well, you know, how can sort of uh, smaller powers or, or, or more middle powers such as Australia and, and Canada look to, uh, you know, be, be more in concert and uh, helping each other where we can mm. in taking a common approach so we're not picked off. Right. Now, one of the things that you your article points out is the um, is the Five Eye Intelligence Alliance, and you talk about this, uh, you know, this this formation that Canada has been left out of, and actually kind of found themselves surprised that it happened. And but Australia is part of this between the Australia uh, United Kingdom and the United States uh, in this security pact called AUKUS. Um, uh, Margaret, can you tell tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, this this uh, came as a surprise to most Canadians, even to most officials in our government. I think they got a heads up of a couple of days, perhaps. But this is an important uh, security um, uh, alliance between the UK, the US and Australia. And uh, it involves uh, artificial intelligence, uh, cyber technologies, um, quantum computing, uh, security intelligence uh, sharing, and undersea technologies. And it also involves uh, submarines. So it was, I think, uh, an important um, element that Canada really wasn't plugged into this. And it's not a a surprise to the, the, the extent that we have not yet made a decision 
on whether the government will ban Huawei. Mm. Uh, the Prime Minister in the last uh, few days said that there will be an announcement of that in the coming weeks, which is terrific, because it's been more than three years that it's been under review. And I think they've just been sitting on an announcement uh, to get the Michaels home, uh, not wanting mm. to poke the dragon uh, in the meantime uh, unnecessarily. But in the meantime, what it means is that important security alliances like this have Canada sitting out. And I think once the new cabinet is formed, uh, ministers should be meeting with their allies in the UK, US and Australia to talk about how Canada can can contribute on technology because all of those technologies that uh, are involved in this agreement are uh, significant technology strengths in Canada and we have a lot to offer. Right. And yet, uh, with this hard line that, that China is taking, and, and as uh, John, you pointed out, sees this as both a hard target and a soft target, even though Canada has these strengths to offer these situations, is there is there any reason for uh, Canada to think that they might be able to, for instance, this PAC, this, this AUKUS, is it something that Canada might be able to join, or is this something that is now a, a done deal within with the other countries? Do you think? Oh no, I, I think that uh, I think that the Five Eyes uh, <clears throat> members would all be uh, welcomed uh, to to be involved with AUKUS in some way. But I think Margaret has really um, put a finger on the nub of the matter. It's the call on the role of Huawei. Um, and uh, the US perceptions of that, uh, for example, um, Australia a couple of years ago uh, already made a call yeah. uh, to uh, exclude Huawei from, um, you know, the, the rollout of the 5G network, and uh, that was based on, uh, on security grounds. Mm -hmm. And um, my, my reading of the situation is that the US is probably almost certainly looking for a similar call to be made in Canada in relation to uh, AUKUS um, so that we, we just have to wait and see what happens there. But uh, whatever does unfold there, I think, um, uh, you know, I can only speak um, as, a, as, as an academic, but I think a lot of Australians would really welcome, uh, you know, the connection with Canada in this matter. You know, the other element of the agreement is is nuclear powered submarines, and yes, Australia is going to get some of those. And Canada actually was looking back in 1987 to get nuclear powered submarines, um, and it was abandoned a couple of years later. But it's something I think we should look at again because we need to be able to patrol our Arctic and both our east and west coasts. And we're not a serious country if we can't uh, patrol our own coasts, especially as China is using um, more shipping through the Northwest Passage and, uh, and there has resource development. They've announced themselves that they will be building uh, military infrastructure in the Arctic to support the business, the Chinese business that's going through. And I think that's a concern to all Canadians. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, can yes, we uh, look, I, I think also um, this point about the Arctic, it, it's also shared, uh, it, you know, down in the Antarctic. So it's uh, it's on the record in China. It's it's, um, you know, it's recorded in, uh, in a, a well-known speech that was made by Xi Jinping 
uh, declaring that uh, he wants China to be a great polar power Mm. so that, uh, you know, this is really for strategic reasons and um, we've got to be alive to what that could mean. Mm. And we, you know, one of the things that drove AUKUS from the Australian point of view for sure is that we, we just can't rely on America to protect us. That is, we've got to contribute and uh, we've, got to, um, we, we've got to be um, able to uh, help ourselves at least to some degree. Obviously, um, countries like Australia and Canada can't just stand up uh, to a, a great power like China unless it's part of an alliance where... Um, you know, we can legitimately, um, you know, join forces on shared interests. And, and here's here's an example. Mm-hmm. Um, could I get each of you to describe something for me? Uh, because both Canada and Australia have taken different approaches. Australia taken a little more of a hard, harder approach towards China and Canada taken more of this uh, passive role. Uh, I'm wondering, how do you think that is interpreted from the Chinese perspective. Uh, Do you think that because Canada has taken a less aggressive uh, approach, it is seen as weak? Uh, Or do you see uh, Australia's approach as being um, one as more respectful from the Chinese perspective because it is standing up for itself? Could could each of you take that? And I'll ask Margaret, if you don't mind taking the the Canadian perspective and and, uh, John, the Australian, if if that's okay. Margaret, would you like to start? Well, um, from from the very beginning, we saw with the arrest of Madame Meng and then the retaliation of China that the Chinese government did, did not see any consequences mm. for the actions it took against Canada. Um, we, we saw that uh, our trade was adversely affected. We didn't do anything in response. Um, we didn't do anything re- in response to our citizens being, um, being uh, detained, except insist that they should be let go. Um, there were a lot of calls to uh, send back the pandas that were in the Calgary, the, to send back the Olympic athletes. Uh, who were training to uh, name senior Chinese officials under our Magnitsky legislation, um, make a decision on Huawei, for example. Um, And uh, Australia was doing things like that uh, when China retaliated against them. But Canada didn't do anything. And in fact, early on in that whole uh, episode, uh, once our citizens were detained, the Chinese officials told Canadians that uh, told Canadian officials that Canada is not a middle power, it's a small power and has to stop leaning towards the US. And what we did in not responding or showing consequences to China for its actions was we proceeded to act like a small power. Mm. And uh, what it told them, apart from our, our citizens being held, uh, the fact that there was no other reaction from Canada uh, suggested to the Chinese that whenever um, whenever you, you want to keep Canada in line, keep it quiet so that it doesn't respond, uh, neutralizes the Canadian voice, mm. then takes c- citizens hostage. And that's really a very 
bad um, bad lesson for for China to take away. And uh, the other the other thing in in is that when Meng was returned. Um, and the Canadians were returned at exactly the same time. That came at the uh, initiation of China, of Beijing, mm. that they, the Michaels would return uh, across the Pacific at the same time. And what that tells every other country in the world is um, if you step out, of, step out of line like Canada did, your citizens will be detained. Mm -hmm. We do exercise a hostage diplomacy, yep. and this is what is going to happen to your citizens. So toe the line with what Beijing is telling you to do. That, mm. that was the message. Right. Thank you. Uh, John? Yes, well, I think if we just come back to the... Th I, I, I agree with, with, with most of uh, what Margaret said there, but I think there's also an additional element um, <clears throat> that we have to consider. Um, if we just go back to the theory of this uh, Canada and Australia being both essential targets and also soft targets, what what goes with that is is the there's a hard nosed Marxist strategy of trying to separate the allies from each other <laughs> and to prize them away from the US mm. so that, for example, with the, with the coercive trade uh, trade strategy that, that's going on, one of the things that uh, happened, for example, around uh, the Bali uh, uh, dispute, uh, China has has basically cut cut off uh, uh, exports of, of Australian barley into China. It's worth worth you know hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm. Um, now, some of that has been picked up, um, you know, in North America, including Canada, um, and there'll be there'll be commercial interests that actually don't mind that. Uh, you know, there's money to be made. It's a huge market. So what what goes with this territory is this use of coercive uh, trade practice, practices to actually attempt to divide the, the allies. Um, now, this is something that we should resist at all costs. Now, Australia has adapted and found other markets for its barley and, and, and other uh, produce to, to come out of barley land. Um, and we, we, we actually don't mind seeing, uh, you know, Canada get some outcome for themselves. It's just that the way it's being played is to try and force and wedge the allies apart from each other so that we, we have to recognise that this is a strategy that's being played on both of us and we've got to be united about how we re respond to that and not fall into that trap of being wedged and then playing a game uh, according to the rules set by a sort of a coercive strategy. Um, so, uh, you know, again, uh, coming back to Margaret's point about the hostage diplomacy, you know, there's absolutely no doubt that hostage diplomacy was deployed in relation to Hmong and the two Michaels. So that, uh, you know, in terms of rule of law, uh, you know, there's a lot of admirable characteristics that were on display by Canada in that whole episode. 
But what China was doing was really not about rule of law. It was about coercion. Mm. And we must not be divided about that, especially the close allies. We, we must stick together in this. Right. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guests on the show are Margaret McQuaig-Johnson. She's a senior fellow in the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa. Also on the line with us is John Garrick. He is with the university. He's the university fellow in law at Charles Darwin University in Australia. And it's a pleasure to have them on talking about their article, Why Have Canada and Australia Taken Such a Different Approach? to China. As you guys were talking, and certainly the, the, the proximity of where countries are, are located here, I'm wondering how that plays into this at all. Australia is certainly its own, uh, its own continent, its own uh, you know, island, so to speak, down under, uh, whereas Canada is, of course, uh, directly joined to the United States in North America. Do you guys think that this is affecting the way the two countries are also approaching their ties with, one, the United States and also to China? John? Look, I, I think it, it's absolutely a factor. Um, you know, uh, Canada sits right next to the United States and um, <clears throat> I think there, there is possibly a greater cushion there in, in relation to um, having the, I, I, I guess, the protective umbrella uh, of an immediate geographical relationship with the United States. Um, obviously, uh uh, I've lived in Canada for extended periods and I'm well aware of, of some of the dynamics um, where, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like a, a big brother that's right next door with this uh, very powerful kind of um, influence over all of us. Um, uh, at, the, at the same time, that proximity um, possibly uh, allows for Canada to uh, take a... Um, a um, more diplomatic and careful approach with China, whereas Australia is um, is is sort of further away, and um, and and for example, uh, with the, uh, the the Chinese strategic interests in the South Pacific, in in Pacific Islands, in expanding its reach and influence uh, in into places like New Guinea, wanting to build. Um, uh, and expand ports and port facilities and so on. For example, in places like New Guinea, well, um, this is this is really close to home. Uh, you know, um, attempts to 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 get right into New Guinea and um, and and places that are literally, you know, between between New Guinea and and the far north of of the the Australian continent. Um, the indigenous uh, connections between the two, uh, between those two geographical areas, people can, can, can you know, uh, ha- have historically taken canoe rides, you know, between, uh, between that tip of Australia and, uh, and the southern tip of, of New Guinea and uh, talk about having some sort of multi-million dollar uh, facility uh, in that precinct is is um, really uh, really challenging. 
uh, to many Australians. So um, I guess to, to some extent, um, this is why the, the AUKUS deal uh, was promulgated, um, you know, from, you know, from the pressure that's really coming south uh, from China. Hmm. Okay. And uh, uh, Margaret? Yes, well, I, I would just add that uh, in terms of trade, um, the U.S., of course, is our largest trading partner at 76% of our exports. Mm. China's our second largest at 4%. So that's a, a dramatic difference. So that yeah, in itself yeah. shows the, the difference in importance. Right. But still, Canadian uh, products are, are uh, you know, want, companies want to be able to sell into China and have collaborations with China. Some of them, though, have gotten in so far that they can't afford to risk losing their China business overnight, as some of our canola companies did, for example, and pork and beef and soy and peas and, and others. So uh, companies now are starting to look at managing that risk by moving to other countries in the Indo-Pacific and, uh, and having more of their business there. And the government is, has been looking over the past year at having an Indo-Pacific strategy. Many countries, even in Europe, have Indo-Pacific strategies. So I'm hoping that in the, the coming weeks, um, or certainly before Christmas, I would expect to see an Indo-Pacific strategy for Canada announced. Uh, a bit of, as a pivot away from China, but also to broaden and deepen our relations with other countries, most specifically Australia. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what we can do on that front. Hmm. Uh, there's a word that keeps going through my head as, as we've been, you know, I've been talking about this with you, and, and it's a dance. The word is dance. It seems like there's this very delicate dance going on, and Canada seems to be uh, having to be in the middle of the dance and having to dance more aggressively than anybody else so that they, uh, because they have the most to lose, I guess. Is that fair to say? Well, we've been trying to stay stay out of the way and not get our feet, feet mm. tromped on by either China or the U.S. We have to be much more careful about what we're doing. At the same time, we have to stand up for our own values mm. and principles. Right. And we also have to be able to stand up for pressure that China may bring against us mm. and not just sit back and, and look meekly um, at, at our neighbor to the south to try to protect us. Mm -hmm. we, we shouldn't be cowed by right. that kind of pressure. Right. We should be able to stand up for ourselves. Absolutely. John, I'm just wondering, what do you, what do you get as a sense of how Australia is viewing Canada at this point in time? Well, I think um, there's, there's great fondness uh, uh, between uh, Australia and Canada. Uh, I actually think Australians look up to Canada in many respects. They're, they're very respectful of that, uh, you know, bilingual uh, element to, uh, to Canada, that French connection, which connects um, Canada to Europe in a much deeper way mm. uh, than, than many other countries can aspire to because it's it's part of the fabric mm. um, and there's a sort of sophistication that 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 comes with that that I think Australians really admire and uh, respect. Mm. Um, so I think that <clears throat> I think that um, Canada is seen as a as a deep friend um, uh, from down under, 
And um, uh, I, I think the commonality that we have in relation to the US, like we, we, we're now in an era of, of great power competition and, and our closest historical friend, the US, uh, is, is, um, is integral to all everything that happens there. Uh, but China is is um, is a is a great power now. It's not emerging; it has emerged. Mm-hmm. It's now asserting itself. Right. Uh, but what's a little bit alarming, and what should what should ring alarm bells for people, is that in the way it is asserting itself, uh, it's it's uh, not in accord with what we understand to be the rule of law, the principles of rule of law, mm. that people are innocent until proven guilty beyond reasonable doubt where there's criminal charges involved and, you know, people just being arbitrarily detained and held as hostages by a great power. This isn't behaviour mm. of a great power. This is something that we we, we should be taking as, as a warning. This is an alarm bell. And uh, I think also uh, at, at, at even, even a bigger level, again, uh, the, the complete disregard of the, um, of the United Nations tribunal ruling in the case of the Philippines and China uh, in relation to the South China Sea, that, that was a unanimous verdict that completely favoured uh, the Philippines. And there were a number of uh, elements to that award, to that judgment, which should ring alarm bells for people in the sense that um, China was found to be in the wrong on multiple fronts. It is a signature, uh, signatory to the uh, United Nations uh, Convention on the Law of the Sea, uh, and it completely rejected the tribunal's findings just simply because it didn't like the outcome. Mm. Well, you know, having an independent tribunal, the, the people that were on that panel, they weren't from America and, and Australia. They were an independent uh, international tribunal that made this finding. Um, and uh, just to disregard that and then to immediately militarise those uh, rocky shoals in the South China Seas when... When, when they had when they were on the record saying they weren't going to do that, mm. you know, I mean, well, what do people need to ring an alarm bell? Mm. You know, I would it- just add that um, President uh, Obama and pre- uh, President Xi discussed the South China Sea Islands, and she uh, confirmed to President Obama that China would never militarize the, the South China Sea Islands, and within a year he was doing it. Mm. And so you have to be very careful about what China says and whether they will actually do what they say they're planning to do or whether they'll do what's in their interest to do. Mm. Well, we were- yes, and, and I'd go a step further, Margaret, um, and say that, you know, there's often something that is said for domestic purposes, you know, to the, to the domestic Chinese audience. And then what's said internationally mm. is, is really something mm. quite different. It has been fascinating speaking with both of you. It would be a pleasure to have you back on if uh, if we can arrange that with the two of you. Thanks, David. That'd be great. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Terrific. Thanks, David. Thank you to uh, Margaret uh, and uh, John for joining me on Moment of Truth today to talk about their article, Why Have Canada and Australia Taken Such a Different Approach to China? Margaret McQuaig-Johnson is a senior fellow in the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa. And John Garrick is a university fellow in law at Charles Darwin University in Australia. It's been a pleasure speaking with both of them. And that is our show for today. Thank you for listening to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and we'll see you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.